If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians. Um, we're going to read. Our reading this morning comes from actually a couple different places, chapter 1 and then chapter 12. If you, uh, yeah, if you don't have a Bible, you can use your device. We have some uh, Bibles that we're working on purchasing to get in here, and they'll be coming again over the next several weeks, and we'll be putting those out for you. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul writes this in, uh, we're going to look at verse 2 and verse 9 here, and then chapter 12. Verse 2, Paul says, To the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints, with all those in every place who call in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours. Verse 9, God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then turn on over to chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. And then skip on down to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's just take a moment and ask God to speak to us. We believe that God, through his spirit, is, is living and active. That He speaks to us as a father, speaks to his children. God longs to speak to us. So let's just take a moment of silence and take a deep breath in, and take a deep breath out, and let's ask our Heavenly Father to speak to us through his word this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just breathe life into us. We come in here each week as we gather a weary, tired people who need, as the, new, as the believers needed in Acts 2, just need a fresh wind of your spirit to blow through this place, to take things that feel dead, that feel um, beyond repair, and to bring them back to life, to bring new life. God, you are a God who raises dead things to life, who sustains us with your very breath. And so, God, we need you to speak. We need you to move. We ask for you to change us, to renew our minds, to renew our bodies, to renew our souls. As we look at this calling to be a church, God, may you reignite a passion for us to be your body, your hands, your feet, your toes, your ears, your eyes, your mouthpiece to, this, to one another and to this city. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad to be back here. Before we jump into 1 Corinthians, I just want to again say how special it is to be able to gather in this place. I know for some of you, this is not welcome home. This is welcome for the first time. This is the very first time you've been in this place, and you don't know the history. And I know for some, you've been around here for a while, and it feels strange maybe to be back in this place uh, with new faces. And it's hard for me to convey just the significance, like psychologically, of coming back into this sacred space um, in the life of our church at this moment. In February uh, 9th, 2014, we had our first service in this place. And some of you don't know that Soma was a church plant 
Yeah, Summer was a church plant, and we started um, in 2012 in, our, in a condo on the north side. This is my living room at the time with about eight people that started this church. Um, and uh, it was a rough start, to say the least. Uh, we didn't know a soul, and we moved to Indianapolis from South Florida. I'm a southern guy going to the Midwest. Uh, my family and I were the first kind of church members, and, uh, and it, was, it was a crazy time. We had six different locations in two years. We were uh, up in Carmel for a season. We were over here in Broad Ripple for a season. We were downtown for a season. We were back in Broad Ripple for a season. Six locations. We were nomads, kind of wandering around looking for a place. And in February of 2014, God allowed us to purchase this building, something crazy that we had, didn't have the money to do. Some people stepped up and helped us buy this building. We had over 300 people here at our first service, uh, first two services, 9 and 11 here on February the 9th. And this has just been such an amazing place, as James is talking about. So many things that have happened here. Uh, this is one of our spaces over in the speakeasy. Again, we just wandered around until we found our place here. We've done many, many weddings, like the Piscasios, in this place. We have um, done funerals in this place. We've, we've buried children together in this place. We've done baptisms for people who've come to know Jesus and celebrated their life in Christ here in this place. We've hosted women's events. Uh, we hosted this event here, The Talk, which was a conversation about racial justice amidst all the police shootings happening in 2014. We hosted city leaders here to talk about the history of racism in Indianapolis and what, what, what God is doing and his invitations in the future for our church and a number of other churches in the community. We've hosted women's and men's events. This is a picture of uh, my wife, Emily, speaking at one of those great women's events. We've had prayer and worship nights. We've had conferences aimed at tackling intergenerational poverty. We've had the opportunity to send out four congregations in our city outside of Soma Midtown, Soma Downtown, Soma Northwest, the District Church. I just saw Pastor Dwayne this morning at Starbucks early. They just moved into a space over here at 52nd and Keystone, where they have no AC right now, but they are happy to have a space. Soma Northwest this morning, right now as we gather, is having their very first worship service at their new facility at 73rd in Georgetown. And we thank God and praise God for Pastor Bobby and Nate and Andrew, and, and all the leaders there, and all the great things that God's doing there. Um, so there's just so many things. We've, we've hosted nonprofits and been an office space for them. We, for many of you, this was home during the pandemic. We were able to open up our doors, and your missional communities were able to gather. Alex, your old MC's right here, worshiping and praying and surviving COVID together. And so it's just such a, a, a great place. I'm thankful to be back on our home turf, and I, I, I hope that for those of you who are new, that you can enter into this, that this doesn't feel overly, I hope this doesn't feel like you're crashing somebody else's family reunion. And if you're new, I know it can be awkward like that. You're just like a bunch of old people telling old stories in the sense of nostalgia. Okay. Give us our nostalgia for a few weeks, okay? But I want you to know we're not living in the past. You know, when God calls the people of Israel to make monuments, they're not supposed to become museums or mausoleums for the past, right? We thank God for all the great things that have happened. But we want to continue to be a missional outpost. We want to continue to, to ask God, as Habakkuk did, would you do a fresh thing? Would you do a new thing? Would, as we look forward to the future, God, we know that you have something for us. And this place is, is a space where we get to come home and feel a sense of stability. But in the end, God is our stability. God is our home. And, and we want to celebrate the good, sacred space he's given us, but also look to the future. Um, and really, that's what we want to talk about today today. Uh, in our vocation, as we continue our vocation series. It's so appropriate that as we move back to this place, that um, our text this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The word that you're going to hear mentioned throughout the, the chapter here in chapter 12 from the Apostle Paul is that the church is a body. 
We are a body. We are a body. We are a body. That word body is the Greek word soma. That is who we are. That is our highest and greatest aspiration. This is the passage that when my wife actually was the one who named our church, uh, she took Greek before me and taught me Greek, actually. She went to Bible college, much smarter than I am. Uh, She said, how about Soma? This is who we want to be. The greatest gift we've said from the very beginning of Soma that we can give to the city of Indianapolis is not another religious service. It's not another church that just exists for self-preservation. It is a body being transformed by Jesus, being transformed by the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, sent out on mission in his name. And that's where we come to today in this passage. And so we want to talk today about the vocation of church. We've talked about the vocation of marriage. We've talked about the vocation of singleness. We've talked about the vocation of our physical bodies. And there's an interplay here in what Paul's doing in the book of 1 Corinthians between our physical bodies and our spiritual essence as the body of Christ. But I want to talk today about the vocation of church. Let me just give you a quick definition for this vocation of church. What does it mean to be called to be the church? That's who we are. The church is not, in its essence, a building. It's not in its essence an institution. It's not a place. It's a people. And this is who God calls us to be. God, uh, the vocation of church is God calling a diverse community of disciples, apprentices of Jesus together into a church so that we can love God and love one another and ultimately love the world. So let's break that down. And I want to just show you quickly what Paul is doing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, so let's break down that definition. God, first of all, calls us together, calls a diverse community of people together. One of the unique factors and and really scandalous features of Christianity in the ancient Roman Empire, of which Corinth was one of the major cities, was its radical inclusiveness or inclusion of people from different social backgrounds. In Corinth, your identity, your social capital, and your dignity and worth as a person were mostly assigned to you at birth and were determined on the basis of your race or ethnicity, your gender, your class, and if you were a citizen of Rome or not. Family life, politics, business, and religion were all conducted within this social hierarchy that was very rigid, and it was actually considered shameful. It was an honor-shame culture to violate these norms, these hierarchical norms. So when Paul comes into Corinth and he preaches the good news of Jesus, the Holy Spirit began to break down. The first thing the Spirit does is breaks down these tribal barriers. And he calls men and women together, which was scandalous. Upper and lower class people together. Jew and Gentile, people from different ethnic backgrounds together. Into relationship with himself and into relationship with one another. People who had been socialized their entire lives to think of themselves as either superior to the other people they're now sharing bread with, or who were made to feel inferior, all of a sudden now found themselves on equal footing, which meant that they had to unlearn old patterns and learn new patterns in Jesus of what it meant to share in equitable relationship with one another, to share meals together with people they wouldn't normally share meals with, to share finances with, right? To share holy kisses with, which is kind of weird, but that's what they did. It was a sign of reconciliation and peace. To share prayers together, to share worship rhythms together, 
And even, get this, one of the most scandalous things they did was to open up their burial plots and to share room and catacombs. When they go, when the archaeologists went and dug up ancient Roman cities, one of the things that blew them away was the fact that side by side in the tombs, you had rich and poor buried by one another. You had men and women buried by one another. You had people from different tribes buried next to one another, which didn't happen in ancient Rome. This is supernatural. It's not sociological. I'll say that again. It's supernatural what God does. It's not something that can be explained through sociology. Paul alludes to the supernatural work throughout chapter 12. Verse 13, he says, we were all baptized by one spirit. He's talking here about conversion. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We were all given one spirit to drink. We've all been brought into the family of God by the power of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit does. He breaks down these barriers and he makes us one. Back in chapter one, we read this earlier, Paul says this, God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. The essence of community for Christians is that we share not in affinities like race or class or gender or what neighborhood you live in, what kind of house you by what boat you own or what second home you're fixing up or not fixing up, right? These are not the things that bind us together. Paul says we are a people that share quantania. That's the word for fellowship there, quantania. That word quantania just means a participation in a common life together. And that life is centered not even around community, not even around the church. The life blood of the church, he says, is Jesus Christ. True Christian community is quantania. It's sharing in the life of Jesus and his spirit together. That's what it means to be a church, to share in Jesus, to center on Jesus and to center on his spirit in our common life together. Verse two, Paul says something similar to the church of God. That's the word ecclesia. To the ecclesia of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints with all those in every place, who call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both their Lord and ours. Notice how many times Paul says, you're called in chapter one. You're called into fellowship with these people. You're called into fellowship with God as disciples. Chapter 12, verse 24, he says it like this. God has put the body together. Think about that. God has placed you in this body. God has called you together with other believers. Whether or not you recognize that or live into that or even acknowledge that, you've been called into a local embodied group of believers to experience quantania. <laughs> this is amazing. I mean, before becoming disciples, these people in Corinth chose their relationship based on prescribed social norms and values and hierarchies and affinities. And now in Jesus Christ, Paul is turning that upside down. He's saying, you've been chosen by God. You've been called into relationships with people not based on sociology, but based on grace, based on the mercy of God. Now you share something in common which cannot be taken away from you through the ups and the downs of the stock market. A global pandemic can't take this away from you. Racial uh, unrest and global upheaval cannot take this away from you. You are God's ecclesia. That word ecclesia literally comes from a word that means to be called out of and to be called into. 
By, by that I mean just you're called out of whatever your human sociological agenda would have been before you're called into relationship with Christ. Whatever your agenda would have been apart from Christ, your priorities, your values, your sense of purpose, now you've been placed into a body. And here's the thing that is both beautiful and hard. We don't get to choose. We don't get to choose in a really supernatural community that's not just about sociology. We don't get to choose our partners in this fellowship. They're chosen for us. It's like having kids, right? Some of you have kids. Some of you are fostering kids. You don't choose your kids. They choose you. They, they decide what, they, they run the joint, right? Like they decide. You don't get to choose what vulnerabilities they're going to have. You don't get to choose their physiology. You don't get to choose the limitations they're going to place on you. They come as they come. God assigns those things to you, and you learn to become a family over time as you accept and receive their strengths and weaknesses, their gifts, and their challenges. And it's the same thing with the Christian community. David Augsburger says it like this, in true community, we do not choose our companions. We receive them as a gift. We cannot sort. We cannot select. We cannot assemble our kind of people. Likeness eliminates challenge. Uniformity reduces growth. Sameness frustrates creativity. Now, this is not how we often think of church. This is a vocation I'm called into with these people, a diverse community of people, some of whom I don't really actually like a whole lot. Guess what? That's the church. We, we choose church based on what? American consumerism, right? Oh, it's amazing to me. Hearing people talk about why they come and go to churches. This is my job as a pastor. Like, tell me why you're here. It's like, oh, man, the coffee. I love Tinker, man. Like, I'm all about this coffee at this church, you know? Or, man, you know, this church, like, I like this pastor's preaching. He's more gospel-centered than this guy, you know, or this gal or whatever. I, you know, I really like these people, and the community's cool, and I mean, you know, the worship, like Miles is really, you know, doing this, or I don't like this. And so, I'm, I mean, it's amazing how can, like, it, it's like you're shopping at Apple. You're shopping on Amazon. I mean, that's how it feels oftentimes how we talk about the church. Such shallow, superficial, affinity-based community. That is not at all. I mean, it's about, I have a need. Which of these churches out here, among the abundant feast of churches in Indianapolis, is going to meet this need? You run the cost-benefit analysis, right? You look at the ROIs, and then you say, okay, I think it's going to be this one. And some of you have been doing that in church after church after church in different cities for years, only to find that no one church will ever meet your needs. Let me just say this. Consumerism is not strong enough to be the basis of a church. It will not be strong enough when the storms of life come. Because wherever you go, there you are. You are part of the problem. I am part of the problem. We're called into a community. And calling is what binds us together when things get difficult. So Paul wants us to know this is a calling. He wants us to see that the church is the body of Christ. That's the main metaphor he uses, right? The church is a body of Christ. It's a living organism. It's not a static thing, right? A body is alive with energy and vitality, right? The primary essence of the church is that it's a supernatural organism, not an institution. It's always growing and changing and adapting, right? There's principles of death and resurrection at life in the church. People go and people uh, come, right? There's changes. And so the church forces us out of our idolization of stability, right? We want things to stay the same. We come to church for security and comfort, and God says, nope, you're a body. I'm going to continue, just like your own body, to evolve you. I'm going to continue to change you. You don't get to control this thing. I'm in control. 
he, he makes great pains, Paul does, to really point out that to be a body is to be a place that is experiencing unity and diversity. Unity and diversity. There's a sense of unity that's bought by God that we don't create, but we steward as the church. Just like a body grows from one cell and eventually... Uh, Jonathan, our biology professor, could tell us how this happens. There's a complex process, but out of that grows a body through a process of differentiation and all kinds of cool cell things. And we become this interconnected system. Unity is like that. We are one body that grows together organically, that's knitted together by providence and grace and God's supernatural activity. And yet, unity doesn't mean uniformity. We ought to be different. We ought to defy and transcend sociological expectations and branding, right? We are many members with diverse backgrounds, hopefully, personalities, social context, limitations, giftings, and needs. And we all need each other. We are interdependent with one another. And this is a beautiful vision of the church, right? It's so much richer and deeper in terms of a life-giving model of community than what we are experiencing right now in this polarized moment, right? What, what, are, what are the models of community on offer for us? On the one hand, it's hyper-individualism. You do you, right? You just be a community unto yourself. On the other side, we have individualism's dark twin, which is tribalism, right? My people, my group, we do things this way, right? And there's a war going on between these two models. And yet, the beauty of a body is that it's, it's interconnected. The many and the one, I can be me, individuality is celebrated and prized and honored, and yet I am vitally connected to and in solidarity with the we. So me and the we come together, right, in the church. We express the beauty of that interdependent life, and that's why I love the concept of body. I love the idea of soma. This is the gift that we offer to our community. And the Holy Spirit, real quickly, lastly, empowers us for this work by giving us gifts for building ourselves up. That's the whole point of the first half of the chapter is the Spirit gives gifts to the church to build ourselves up in love and service. And we don't have time to get into all this, but just again, notice there's unity, one God, one Spirit, one Jesus that gives us these gifts. And this gift list here is not exhaustive, right? We don't own them. These are not superpowers that we possess and we just take with us uh, like you know, spiritual supermen and women. Uh, these, are, these are manifestations of the character of Jesus himself. Jesus is the only one that possesses all these gifts. And the Spirit takes from Jesus and he gives to individual churches and to individual people a variety of gifts to build us up in the way that God wants us to be built up. And the focus is not on the gifts. The focus is on the giver of the gifts and the good of the church. Now, that's a beautiful vision for the church. It is so hard to live into that. So uh, I'm going to turn now to Hannah Anderson as she, our visiting teacher, as she unpacks some of the challenges of uh, living as a community in the way that Paul describes here. Hopefully. Oh, yeah. As we consider this beautiful calling to come together as a diverse body of disciples to love God and serve our neighbor through our fellowship, we also have to take a moment to be realistic about the ways in which our sin and the brokenness of this world makes that very difficult. You don't get very far in 1 Corinthians before you come up against the reality that the Corinthian church was full of division and fragmentation. In fact, 
when Paul offers up this vision of being called into fellowship with Jesus Christ in verse 9 of chapter 1. It's only one verse later that he writes this. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. And then if you've been reading along with us in 1 Corinthians, you know that he spends the majority of the rest of the book addressing different divisions and fragmentation that has happened within this body of diverse believers. In fact, I just want to give you a brief overview because it's so striking when you get this bird's eye view of what is happening in the Corinthians church that you begin to understand why he begins the book calling them into fellowship with Jesus Christ. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul is addressing the fact that a lot of the members have begun to cluster around their favorite pastor or their favorite teacher. It wasn't Instagram, but it was the phenomenon of the celebrity influencer or the celebrity Bible teacher. Some would say, I am of Apollos. Others, I am of Paul. And the more spiritual among them would say, I am of Christ. But they were fragmenting and, and choosing to listen and to group around only certain teachers. This had opened up a way for sin to enter into their body. So that by the time you get to chapter 5, Paul has to address some very severe immorality that has crept into the body and caused even greater division. By chapter 6, he's talking about the fact that the members of the body were taking each other to court in punitive ways. Rather than trying to settle their differences among them, they were using the rule of law to punish each other. By chapter 8 and chapter 10, he's addressing the differences in their lifestyle practices and how some of them were using their liberty to flaunt it to those who didn't feel the same liberty. But simultaneously, those who had stricter consciences were judging those who felt freedom. By chapter 11, he's addressing the partiality and the factions that had come up at the Lord's table so that some members of the church were full and content, and others were going away hungry. By chapter 12, the, the chapter that we're in this morning, he talks about the fact that certain giftings had been prioritized over others, that some members of the church had been deemed essential while others had been overlooked as non-essential. And then in chapter 14, he talks about those who would seek the spotlight, those whose gift would be on full display and cause others to covet it. Now, on one hand, it's really tempting for us to see the Corinthian church and look down on them, to see them as immature believers. I mean, their sins have been immortalized for us in Scripture, and we're all too familiar with them. But on the other hand, you know that the divisions that the Corinthian church experienced are the same divisions that we experience today, that the sins that they struggled with were just as prevalent as those that we struggle with. And that the body of Christ that is supposed to be united, that is supposed to come together to love God and serve others, is anything but united. Instead of sharing common life with Jesus through his spirit, we come to church looking for how we can meet our own needs. We come looking for what we can get out of it, and we live highly individualized experiences of the body of Christ. We come looking for what do I need? What do I want? What is my best fit? 
And so just like the Corinthians, instead of working together as the members of Christ's body, unified in service, we will fight amongst ourselves. We will seek prominence, so much so that the body becomes debilitated and can't even accomplish the simplest task. Think about what happens to a body when it is diseased or it has an accident or it, it has an illness that, that paralyzes its ability to move. The same thing is true when the body of Christ turns on itself, when the members begin to fight among themselves. The body of Christ that is called together to love God and to serve others simply can't. And instead of using our gifts to build each other up, we use our gifts to seek prominence. We use our gifts to honor ourselves, to minimize others, and we completely miss the work that the Holy Spirit is doing. In fact, this is exactly what the Corinthians were missing. In 1 Corinthians 12, 24, Paul reminds them that God is doing a work, that this is God's calling on their life, and that their fragmentation and division and turning on one another was causing them to miss the work that God was doing. Listen to these words. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. Because the truth is that when our bodies, when, when the church does not have this kind of concern for every member, it can be a very painful place to be. A friend of mine once said, there's no hurt like church hurt. And that's the truth. There's no betrayal like the betrayal at the hands of those who claim the name of Christ. So many of us come to the church longing for the grace and love of Christ. We long to escape the brokenness. And here is a group of people claiming to be different. We join our hopes high, maybe looking for a place to have our wounds healed and it's not very long before we run up against each other. And it's not very long before we harm each other and we hurt each other. And that woundedness becomes deeper because it is at the hands of other believers. And I think it's very easy when you experience that to just throw your hands up and want to walk away from the church. And I have a great deal of sympathy for those who have. In fact, a lot of my husband and I's ministry over the years has been with people who have been in the church and walked away because of the pain, because of the hypocrisy, because it was just too difficult to stay. And I understand that sentiment, but I also know that God is at work in his church. And despite the brokenness, the church is something that he is calling us into. And the church is different in this respect. Every human community, family, business, government, nation, state, is going to experience the brokenness of people trying to live together for a common purpose. We will harm each other. But within the body of Christ, we make a different claim. We claim that the brokenness, while common, is not normative. It is not the way things should be. We confess our sin and we acknowledge that this brokenness exists, but we refuse that it will be the prevailing norm. And as disciples of Christ, we refuse to say that the fragmentation is okay. 
And that's exactly what Paul has done through the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul challenges the believers over and over again by the truth that you are the body of Christ. This is a reality. You have been joined with Christ. You have fellowship with Christ. And because of that, you must live this out together, even in our brokenness. Because the other claim we make is that the only hope for our brokenness The only hope for a broken body of believers is the broken body of Christ. Unity does not come through conformity. It does not come through strong authoritarian leaders. It doesn't even come through shared philosophy, vision plans, or a best intention. Unity comes through Christ. And throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul reiterates this over and over and over again. Whenever he is addressing a particular division, he lifts up Christ as the thing that will unify them. And we see that perhaps most clearly in 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul is turning their attention to the Lord's Supper, that time that we remember the broken body of Christ. And calling them together around the one who was broken for them, he says this, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And one of the reasons that we gather as the broken body of Christ around his broken body is to remind ourselves and to proclaim to the world that the only way that human beings can live in a diverse community in any kind of unity and peace is through the body of Christ. It is when we affirm his lordship over all of us that we finally can find unity. Because when we do this, an interesting thing happens. When Christ is central, everything else aligns itself. Because you know this too. The body of Christ did not stay broken. God raised him from the dead and set him at his right hand and gave to him a name above every other name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it's in submitting to Christ, it is in submitting to his broken body, raised and glorified, that the church can find unity and that we can begin to show the world what reconciliation looks like. And as Jesus is lifted up, all of the members align themselves under his authority. And as they align themselves under his authority, they find that they begin to be aligned with each other. This is how Paul puts it in a letter to another church. Using the same metaphor of the church as Christ's body, made up of diverse members, he writes, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow up in every way into him who is the head, Christ. For in him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself in love. Or consider what he writes in Colossians 1. Christ is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him 
to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his shed blood on the cross. Every church experiences division, whether it's the Corinthian church or Soma. Every human attempt to come together in diversity will fail if it is not submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord. But when we think about this calling to enter into diversity of fellowship for the purpose of glorifying God and serving others, we have this hope that as Christ is lifted up, as he is foremost among us, as he is elevated and we all submit to him, he will align us to himself and with each other. And as he is lifted up, our churches and our congregations will become beacons of hope for a world longing to see this kind of unity. And as he is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. So in just a moment, we're going to go to communion and we're going to celebrate the broken body of Jesus as our only hope. Before we do that, though, I want to just give you some encouragements as Pastor James and I have been kind of praying over this season and thinking towards the future and trying to figure out what does it look like to be the body in this moment? What does it look like to reclaim and recover our sense of vocation together uh, as we come back together physically for some of us? And yet some of us are still not here. Some of us are gathering online. Some of us are not here that we're here. And here's what I just want to say to you uh, pastorally. We love this church. We love this body. I, I love being the pastor here. If I was not a pastor here, I would be a member here. If I was gonna leave this church, it would not be to pastor another church. I love this church. And I know it's been a hard year for all of us in this room in different ways. It has been a grueling year. Using that body metaphor, for many of us, it feels like we've lived through a dismemberment this year. So much trauma, so much suffering. It feels as if the church has kind of a spiritual autoimmune disease where we are attacking ourselves and we are experiencing fragmentation and division and separation and a sort of war against our body. For some of us, we come in here this morning feeling tired. We feel disoriented. We wonder, is this still my church? I look around, I don't even know a lot of these people. Is this still the place for me? Maybe you're new and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. This is great. I'm excited to be here, right? And you are eager and you're wondering if there's a place here for you, but you're excited to plug in. Maybe you're feeling nervously excited or just insecure because you don't know the contours of the body. You don't know the rhythms. You don't know this building. You don't know the story. Maybe some of you, as Hannah mentioned, have wounds from the past and you don't feel like you can trust. You can't trust leaders. You can't trust other Christians. You can't even trust yourself. What do we do? We, I think we just have to name that and just say it's going to be awkward. It's going to be hard. It is a calling, but it doesn't make it easy. There is a lot of pain. When I was in middle school, I was in eighth grade. I was moving a metal cabinet with some other eighth graders. Not a great idea, by the way, a heavy cabinet. And the other three guys that were carrying with me dropped it, and it landed on my index finger and uh, pretty much chopped off the top of my index finger. It was a glory mess, which was pretty cool in eighth grade because I bled all over the hallway and I came back, the stories had grown. Like, I heard you got your arm chopped off and what happened to you? And so it was kind of a little bit of a, uh, a mystery uh, for a while, which in middle school, you know, you'll take anything good at that point. 
Um, so, but, but I remember the long process of recovery after having my finger tied, 40 stitches internally and externally on my finger, cut nerves, severed tendons and ligaments and all, whatever is up there in my finger, it all got severed. And there was this long process of regaining feeling in my finger, right? Just the awkwardness of, uh, you know, cold things not feeling cold, hot things not, sometimes you could poke it and it would hurt and sometimes it wouldn't. And to this day, I still don't have 100% functionality in my index finger uh, in terms of feeling. There's still parts of it that are numb, right? That, but the body has an amazing ability to regenerate itself, right? At least while you're young. Because the older you get, it stops and it breaks down and eventually you die. <laughs> but, but... That is somewhat of what I think we are experiencing as a church. There has been a trauma, but the Spirit of God, like our bodies, has this generative quality that is far greater than our body's capacity to heal itself. The Spirit of God lives in us, and he has given us, Paul says, all that we need to thrive. God is committed. He has given us every gift that we need. Every person that we need is here. Every gift that we need right now is here, and we don't have to despair. This is, this awkwardness, the hard, is what God's called us to live in. This is the church. And, and part of this is just naming this and embracing how hard, how ugly, how messy it is to be a church full of humans on their way to Jesus, right? That's what we have to embrace. That's what we have to acknowledge. It's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his fantastic book, probably the best book on church community called Life Together, it's what he calls the death of the wish dream. We must let our dreams about community die and let them be replaced by the reality, right? You have a dream of what church is going to be like when you're 22 and you're going to change the world. And then you're 30 and you're like, I hate the church, you know, in your 40s, I hate the church even more. And, and we're guarding against that cynicism, but that wish dream has to die. Bonhoeffer says this, anyone who loves a dream of community more than the Christian community itself, warts and all, becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though the devotion to the former is faultless and the intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. If you are here right now, you have been called here by God. We need to rediscover the calling, let the wish dream die. What you thought it was gonna be, the idealism of what you hoped it would be, these are the people that God's called you to love. These are the people that God's gifted you to serve. You've been called right now in this moment to build this body up in the name of Jesus. And there might be therapy that's needed for all of us, lots of counseling, lots of prayer, spiritual battle that needs to happen, Lots of awkward conversations that need to happen, but at the core, we must rediscover our calling, receive the call that God has, ha has for us as a body to build each other up in love. That is how we will become all that God has called us to be. So just as we go to communion, I, I just wanna invite you to rediscover that calling. Maybe there needs to be confession of sin. Maybe there needs to be a reorientation of the way that you think about church as not a consumeristic event where you come to have needs met, but rather as a place where God has equipped you and called you and gifted you to show up and to love one another. We, we must rediscover our calling by attuning to each other, right? Attuning to the spirit of God. What is God doing in my brothers and sisters? Just like a, a good orchestra, right? We have to hear the other instruments. We have to attune ourselves to the conductor, right? Jesus is our conductor. He's conducting this orchestra. And we must look around us and say, who has God called me here to love, to serve? What's their story? How can I learn more about them, grab lunch with them? What have they lived this season? 
What kind of healing do they need? What kind of strengthening do they need? What kind of encouragement and affirmation, right? There is a lot of affirmation we all need. When you live through trauma, psychologists say you need 10 positive affirmations for every negative. Right now it feels, at least in my experience right here in this body, inverted. Lots of criticism, not so much encouragement. Let's dial up the encouragement and the affirmation. Let's attune to each other and let's rediscover our calling through serving, right? How do you discover your spiritual gifts? Let me just give you a hint. It's not by taking a spiritual gifts test. It's not the Myers-Briggs. It's not the Enneagram. I love the Enneagram. I love the Myers-Briggs. That's not how you discover your calling, your gifts. You discover your gifts by looking around and saying, what are the needs that need to be met? And step in and start to meet those needs in the power of the Spirit, right? You don't bring your gifts as if you're just some kind of like detached superhero showing up with a cape on, here's me, here's my gift of teaching, and foist it on the community. No, you discover your gifts through participation in the body. It requires relational connectivity and humility and experimentation and feedback and, and seeing, is my gift actually building people up or not? And we have so many opportunities that I couldn't even fit them all on the screen, right? Like you wanna start a missional community, you wanna start a discipleship group, get into kids ministry, serve in poorhouse, transitional foster. I could give you the full list and I'm happy to email that to you this week, but we have to go to communion. So just know there are so many opportunities and God is calling the question is, are you listening? We have to unblock our ears, unblock our hearts, unblock our imaginations, what we've experienced in the past, to say, God, what are you calling me into right now? What kind of person are you calling me to become in Christ? And what would it look like for me to begin to serve this body? That is Paul's invitation to us. That is the vocation of church.